Welcome, everyone, to this latest episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. I'm Matthew Westfox, one of your co-hosts. Um, unfortunately, our other co-host, Paul, can't join us this week, but I have a special guest, uh, my friend Greg, who's done a lot of thinking about um, ethics and, and the kind of issues we talk about, uh, who's going to be joining us today for a discussion of mind control uh, and how we feel about mind control and mind reading uh, as something our superheroes do. So, Greg, why don't you say a word of introducing yourself? Hello, everyone. Uh, I am Dr. Gregory Haley, and I uh, spent a lot of time working and doing research on the process of identity and identity construction. And what I'm most interested in is uh, aspects of free will and how we go about making decisions for ourselves in uh, the spheres in which we operate. How much are we influenced by others and how much do we actually make our own decisions? And that's this is the area of research that I'm most interested in. And as a comic book fan, growing up on comic books, I was always fascinated by this idea of those uh, superpowers that are capable of influencing others, particularly around the idea of mind control and what does it mean uh, for our social contract and how we, uh, you know, how we go about deciding what is good versus bad. I, absolutely. I mean, I think this is such a great topic. Um, and I, I will say at the outset, a big spoiler warning. I think we're mostly going to be talking about um, Professor X and the X-Men, but we're probably also going to mention everything from you know other Marvel and DC comics where mind reading comes up. We'll probably do some spoilers of Babylon 5, uh, a fantastic TV show from about 20 years ago, um, and a number of other things. So anyone who hasn't seen some of those or read all of those uh, and doesn't want to be spoiled, just a quick spoiler warning out of the way. Um, and and let, let's start there, Greg. Um, let's just talk about just the general ethics of, of mind control as a, you know, we, we I, I'm with you. I think free will is such an important thing. And then I look at someone like Professor X or some of these other heroes who are doing really great, wonderful things, sometimes by reading or even controlling the thoughts of others. Um, what, what, what do you see as like some of the, some of the problems there? Well, it, it comes down to intentionality. I mean, um, you know, the road to hell is paved with the finest of intentions. It it is, you know, the idea of Professor X, who is set up as a character of good. I mean, his his, he is a a you know as good a character as you can imagine. His goal is to help children, to help children who are uh, mutants, to you know create a society. I mean, he fights um, Magneto for this idea of living and working with humans and integrating and and. And all of his work and all of his ideas are built around the idea of helping others. The What it comes down to is this idea of what is and isn't the point at which one should get involved. And, I mean, do we begin uh, controlling or do we get involved just based on what people think? Or do we actually charge people? Do we actually wait until something is done? Because there is no crime that com- that is committed. There is nothing wrong that has been done until an actual act has been committed. Right. And, and you can see this in our, like, the current American and even worldwide um, terrorist watch, this idea of arresting people who are meeting, these arresting people who are talking, people who are planning. Right. Um, it, it certainly is, uh, it, you know, as a person who is concerned about my safety, I, you know, thank goodness we have people out there who are looking out for these groups and do and, and, and getting involved, but at the same time, until something has actually been done, there's no crime. Right, and I, and I think that's an important line because, I mean, certainly once two or three people start to talk to each other, then you can say that an act has occurred because a plan is being made, a conspiracy is being made. 
But when right. it's one person sort of thinking in their head, oh, you know, it might be great to, to rob this bank. Um, well, sure, I, you know, that, we, we would like to know bef- before he's going to start to do it. But, but I think you're right. We get into a really interesting question of what, what is happening when someone like Professor X can see that thought in their head and immediately start to try to go to stop them. Right. Um, I, I can imagine Pref- Professor X <clears throat> paying attention to my head when somebody cuts me off in traffic. And that- <laughs> Arresting you for murder based on that alone is, is probably right. not the best way to go. Right. In that moment, I'm thinking very, very bad thoughts about the person in front of me, but uh, I'm not going to act on it. My my free will, my ability to both think these murderous thoughts, but also to have enough of an internal ethic that I can calm down and not actually kill the person in front of me. I mean, that process of self-will has to occur. Right. But in that in that moment, Professor X were looking at my mind, he would see a murderous fiend. And at what point does he get to make the decision this person is or isn't going to act? And when, do, when does he, you know, when do I get involved as a person who can read this person's mind? And, and it begins to influence, it begins to act upon free will in a way that's very troubling. Right. Well, and I think it's a really interesting question, especially because, you know, I think when you think of dysutopian, you know, fiction, like 1984 is the best example, but certainly there's a lot of things in our literature where we pretty much understand that a kind of a big brother state that is trying to control like bad thoughts and never let us have bad thoughts because bad thoughts lead to bad action, that that is pretty much universally across the board condemned. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I, I mean, but no one thinks of Professor X as a step towards big brother. Um, and yet I think you're right that there, there's an element to which that's what's happening. Well, and we have an entire uh, social order. We have, a, we have a construct within our culture that says bad thoughts are are bad and you should never have them, which is which is completely inaccurate. I mean, we have an entire pharmaceutical industry set up around the idea of oh, here's a way to keep you from feeling bad. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is is that as animals, as human animals, we have a range of emotions that include everything from joy to you know extreme anger. And how we behave and act within our society is one that is culturally developed. But I, I, I'd push back a little on that example because I do think that. Um... That there are some ways in which a lot of what the pharmaceutical stuff can do around mental stuff isn't necessarily around not letting people feel bad feelings. It's about making sure that they either don't stay in the bad feeling or that they don't, um, you know, kind of what what actions they take on that. Um, no, but I, but I definitely hear your general point. I think I think there's something to be said there of, you know, and, and um, the the ways in which we are now afraid of what someone's going to do with those bad thoughts. Um, and, and, and I, I, I want to get back to the, the specific thing about Professor X because y- you probably know that world a lot better than I do. I know the, the comic book movies and, and um, I've read some of the X-Men comics, not as many as I would like. And I know that, as you said, Professor X is definitely a good guy. But they do set up some really interesting debates between Magneto and Professor X, specifically around this idea of you know separation versus integration kind of in terms of the... the the, the, the mutants and to what extent they can or can't trust humanity um, and, and I admit there are some times where I think Magneto has some good points in terms of like is Professor X kind of naive or the like but, but I, I, I don't remember any time where Magneto calls you know Magneto is such a force of individual free will I, I'm trying to remember are, are there times where Magneto kind of calls out Professor X for his mind control and, and, and sort of saying that that's not really that good a thing Yes, but the way he does it, and one of the things I've always enjoyed about their relationship is Magneto does it in, in sort of a very almost 
humorous, sly way, he is constantly needling mm. Professor X and into being more self-assessed, to be more self-aware of the way Professor X is just diving in because, you know, Professor X's goal is to do good and he's always willing to jump in and dive in and be involved and be engaged, which are all elements of this good, this good idea. And one of the things Magneto does constantly throughout the comics and, and, and throughout their relationship is just sort of that constant needle of, you know, be careful of what you're doing. Right. You know, Xavier, think about what you're doing. You know, take a step back and be aware of how you've stepped onto this dangerous ledge. And and, and he does it also often in, in, in humor. And it is um, – I've always enjoyed that aspect of the relationship as much as – you know, Mag- Magneto wants the mutants to rise up and, and run things. You know, the mutants are the are the are the future for him, and, and there is a war, and he wants to win. Right. And you know, Xavier's goal is to keep the peace, to create a an, a world of peace in which mutants can thrive, but not be feared. And it is, uh, you know, you look at what's happening with our Syrian refugee debate. Mm-hmm. It is the exact same debate. You know, you you've got um, you know millions of people not millions, hundreds of thousands of, of Syrian refugees who are hardworking, good people, you know, everyone from taxi drivers to doctors. Right. Who, who their country has been destroyed, and they're looking for a new place to set up and live and survive. And you have uh, another force at work, certainly within our country and other countries, that look at uh, the potential, the possibility that a few of them might be terrorists, a few of them might be bad, so we must, you know, reject the whole lot and right, that, is, that horrible Skittles example, that, that, that meme that was being sent around for a while. of you know, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, which is, you know, it, it's frustrating because to use that Skittles example, it's not a bowl of Skittles with three of them. It's a million Skittles with two of them. Well, <laughs> so, well, well let, let me play devil's advocate here for a minute sure. because wouldn't if someone had the power to sort of stand at the refugee gate and say, you know, okay, we're going to let all of these people in, but Jean Grey or Professor X is going to stand there and just anyone who, as they come in, like we can read their mind and get a sense that they're thinking about how they can, you know, come to this country and help ISIS, that, that then they should be plucked out. Why, why, what would be wrong with that? Well, it goes back to that same idea of getting cut off in traffic. Yep. I mean, there might be plenty who are coming in thinking, oh, America is terrible until they show up in, you know, Peoria and at a church and are taken care of and their family is given food and given a job and suddenly, oh, wait, I, I, maybe I misunderstood this community. Maybe I misunderstood this culture. I think that the idea of, you know, arresting people or pulling them out based on what they're thinking in that moment mm-hmm. is, is it, it really attacks this idea of ethical standards, the ability for a person to change their mind, the ability for a person to not do something. It might be more it might be more effective to say we could stand there and say, Oh, this is a person who has potential, let's keep an eye on them. Right. Well and and I think that there's something although again, even there I think we get into such dangerous waters. Um I, I don't know if you've seen it, but I just saw the Snowden movie, which is a it, it's an Oliver Stone movie and it has some of the, the problems Oliver Stone movies do, but it's such a great, you know, discussion of how dangerous that that kind of like you know, well, let, let's let's think about who the people we're going to worry about are. Um, but and and I want to keep going with what you were saying there because I, I know you talked earlier about um, identity and how that that how we shape our identity is such an important part of of the work you've done. And and I want you to talk a bit about that because I, I think that's in in some ways that's kind of my one of my biggest concerns with this mind mind reading idea is like to take that example I just gave. 
what we're now doing is saying a person who has that kind of a bad thought, we can label them that their identity is terrorist, that their identity is this fixed thing because of the thoughts they're having. Instead of having an understanding of people's identities are, are fluid and change and grow and evolve. Um, and so, so where do you think that comes in in terms of like the, the mind reading as a way of sensing and labeling someone's identity and how problematic that can be? Yeah, and, and it comes it, it boils down to this idea of are you looking at a a, a moment in time? You know, if if you are mind reading, if, is Professor X capable of looking at a person where they are in the moment and only at that level, or are they capable of looking in that moment and then ex, and then extrapolating that out and having context around the rest of this person's life and influences? And and to the degree to which we judge an individual based on his or her actions. Um, is often influenced by our understanding of the context around those actions, right. and and you know that is that is the battle that happens in um, world cultures. You know, the I, I often when I talk to my students about Iran, Iran being you know a, a, one of America's foes in the world, I ask them, you know, you know what the average person in Iran wants? The average, the average working person in Iran wants blue jeans and coca-cola they want their kid to go to school and not have to worry about getting killed they they want you know their their children to grow up in a world of peace that's what the average person in iran wants yeah and and it's you know the idea that because they we have designated them oh they're a foe we have to automatically assume they are an enemy and it's 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 a little more complex than that i i mean that's that, that uh, one of the things i always i when, when I watch a lot of these superhero shows, and I, lo- I love them, obviously, that's why I started this podcast, but, but there are a couple things that, that always bother me just because I find them so hard to think about and to, and to rationalize that they could exist. Um, and, you know, I, mean, I, could, I, I can believe in Thor, I can believe in flying superheroes, but, but time travel and mind reading always sort of throw me. And, and with mind reading, one of those things is, it, you know, I imagine, e- even like you said, that if someone were to read your thoughts about you know, that, that moment when someone cuts you off in traffic. They might read that thought of, I want to kill that guy who just cut me off, but they're probably also going to read all of your thoughts about where you're driving to, what you were just driving from, you know, the music you're listening to, wanting to get home to your wife and your dog. Like, I mean, just, it, our thoughts are eight million things all at once. And I think often when, when, when our heroes or, or villains mind control in these shows and, and movies and comic books, there's this idea that you can sort of pick out that one thought of, okay, this person is thinking about robbing a bank. This person is thinking about blowing something up. When really that one thought is going to be part of a million others, and that's part of that, you know, that, that whole wealth of the, the human being that gets lost when we're just looking at that one thought. Yeah, you know, they cover that a little bit in the X-Men comic series. I mean, the Xavier's mind machine is very much about helping Helm distinguish that. and, and <clears throat> That makes sense. Yeah, certainly in... Uh, in that story arc, even Jean Grey, to the extent of, you know, suddenly you have uh, telepathy, telekinetic powers or telep- telepathic powers being overwhelmed by the information flowing into you at the moment and, right. and learn to focus that so that you really can pick out that thing you're looking for. And that is what Xavier trains his mind to do over decades. And so they, they, they do touch on that a little bit in that in that story. But then you have other, you know, villains who come in. And, and various other comic series who just sort of have this natural ability to see and think, you know, to see what everyone is thinking. Right. Well, and even that machine, I mean, I think that that machine is going to help make it more possible, but it probably hurts in what you're talking about because, you know, if you're looking for, is this guy thinking of planting a bomb? 
you're not going to find the part of him that's thinking about the little thing in the back of his head that's wondering if there's going to be kids there when I set off the bomb or that, you know, all those other humanizing factors. Um, So, yeah, I think that that it's interesting to think about that that there. Uh, Go ahead. No, I was going to say this idea of of good versus bad, right? So this is... uh, Already problematic as hell to begin with. Right, exactly. And one of the things I really like about what the, the Marvel Universe has done in the current films and Civil War and some of the other places, they've really begun to examine that part yep. of the argument of, of what is good, what is bad, and how do we judge those things based on our position, where we're standing matters. Oh, um, and have you seen a, a Civil, uh, the, um, one, the Captain America Before Civil War, Winter Soldier? Yes. Because I was thinking about that when we were talking about, you know, what if mind control is only, or mind reading, because I think it's an important distinction, but what if mind reading is only used for you know, sensing who are the people we should be keeping an eye on. I mean, that's that's Hydra's plan exactly in Winter Soldier. Is they're saying let's just identify and and wipe out the people we can we can identify as potential problems. Um, you know, in order to make everyone better. And I and in that movie, what we're seeing is just how how horrible it can be. But but I think what we're kind of showing in this discussion is that that's not that there is a line that can start with Professor X and get in that direction if we're not careful. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, you see that in our current uh, uh, NSA debate. I mean, this goes back to the Snowden point you brought up, which is, you know, who gets to decide what is and isn't better? Right. Uh, Whose basis are we starting from that things are good and we shouldn't change them? I mean, if you were a young African-American man living in the United States today, you have a set of fears that a young white male doesn't have. Right. And, and... You know, to say that, hey, we we are afraid of change, we want it to stay the same, and we're going to prevent, you know, we're going to look into people's thoughts and sort of make sure that things move along as they are slowly. Well, are you undermining an entire part of section of the population who are suffering? Right. Yeah, I mean, so often things like that are, it, it, it does seem like it's often phrased as an attempt to keep things the same, you know? Right. Yeah, the status quo, you know, status quo versus change. Change necessarily involves destruction. And, and that is true of the individual identity as much as it is true of any culture. And I'm not to advocate destruction or, or, or in any way whatsoever. I'm just saying it is a natural side effect of change. And, you know, you, you cannot change something and have it stay the same. It's, I, it's, I, yeah. I, I often love that um, Martin Luther King, um, you know, he, he would often say, listen, what he was doing was hurting white people in the South because what he would, you know, white people in the South had a very particular um, world that they had built and he was taking that away and that was going to hurt. And he didn't want to, you know, dismiss that pain, but he didn't want to say that pain should, you know, that that, that destruction of the white segregated world was going to cause harm, but that that wasn't enough to not do all the things that needed to be done because, as he you know, pointed out, that it would in the end be far better for the people being oppressed, but also be better for the oppressors in terms of freeing them from that weight as well. Um, right. And, and I think that goes a long way to explaining, you know, the, the sort of Trump effect that's happening right now. I mean, here's a person who is as close as close a thing to a comic book villain as we've ever had running for office. Mm-hmm. And he has a very real chance of winning the election. There are, you know, he'll win 28 or 30 states. Yep. Um, and it is largely because of this thing you've just described. I mean, with uh, with uh, advances, social advances in gay uh, gay rights, uh, gay marriage, um, you know, being showing 
the country the kinds of uh, racism that exists that are systemic to our to, to our culture, there are four people who are quite privileged, who don't want things to change, who see who see these changes as a threat to their own existence. I mean, they're they're they love the idea of having a villain come in who's going to destroy everything, who's going to you know turn it all back. Right. Uh, even if even if it destroys what they have, even if there is, I mean, even this guy is just you know <laughs> capable of doing the job, fundamentally unfit for office. They're still going to vote for him because he represents, uh, you know, some kind of pushback against what they see as damage to themselves and their culture. Well, and, and I think the key word there is fear, because I think, and I, and I want to pull us back a little bit to our topic, because um, I, I will wander as much as anyone. But, but, <laughs> but the um, God, we could sit here and discuss Trump all day. Trust me, I'd love that. But I do want to, um, but, but with this topic especially, because I think. As you said, one of the things that's motivating there and that comes up a lot is fear. Um, right. And, and talk a bit about – because I think one of the things we often see with mind control – or again, I should say mind reading, mind control being a somewhat uh, – an even further ethical step that Professor X does get into. But right. just focusing on mind reading, I do think that I, I, I we sometimes see in these movies and TV shows and in the comic books probably – that the idea that, well, we normally wouldn't do this, but we're so, you know, Magneto's plan is so terrible and we're so afraid of it, or this this other thing we're so afraid of, that, that we're going to allow mind mind reading to happen here. Um, and and I, I get where that fear comes from, but I, I want to hear you talk a little bit about where, where do you see that happening with the Professor X story and, and where is it problematic? Um, or if you see that. <laughs> Yeah, I know it, it's 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 difficult. It's hard for me to pull out a specific example. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, you know, it's it's certainly the idea that um, I mean, Jean Grey is class is, is is in in the they have it in the films a little bit, certainly in the comic book series. I mean, uh, Professor X steps in and puts a block on Jean Grey's mind as when she's young, right? Specifically because he sees in her the potential for you know extraordinary power and and. He intervenes. He he gets involved in this person's natural development because of what he sees as potential "quote unquote" danger. I mean, Without- that, and that's flat out mind control because that's not consensual. That's not something she asks for. He's just deciding to sort of like put these like like an engine governor on her because she he doesn't want her using her powers because he thinks it could be too dangerous. Exactly because he's decided it's too dangerous. He does not give her the opportunity to develop her own free will and her own ability to control that thing. Who knows what she could have become? Right, right. There's the great, the, the great American subjunctive. Who, you know, what could have been? Um, <clears throat> because he he involved, he made the decision, and and in you know in the, in the story, it's he and Magneto sort of make the decision together. But in reality, he's the one who does it. He's he makes that decision, and so you know he also is very manipulative. Look at how he manipulates. Um, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Claws. Oh, Wolverine. Wolverine, yes, thank you. <laughs> Claws is a, is a good nickname, though, as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my brain just fled me. Um, now, look at how he manipulates Wolverine from the beginning. Right. Wolverine is not, I mean, not so much of putting a governor on him or telling him what he should do, <clears throat> but constantly putting him in situations where he knows the kinds of decisions Wolverine is going to make. And he, and he manipulates Wolverine toward the X-Men right. through the situations that... Xavier said it's up for him. Well, and, and, and I think that's one of the things that I love in, in superhero stuff in general is 
you know, I think we can all agree that we probably don't live in a world where someone has the actual powers that Professor X does of literal mind reading and control. But we certainly live in a world of people who can, you know, possess incredible manipulative power. You know, we don't have people who can, like, literally read emotions, but but people can be empathetic. Um, and, and I think it's a really interesting way of showing, you know, what are ways in which the, the powers that Professor X can have that could be used for good or bad, you know, are, are, are e- extreme examples of things that, that happen in our real world and, and, and can be just as problematic. Absolutely. Uh, the, you know, people who are aware of cognitive bias and the biases that, in, that, that influence human behavior um, well, just, why, why don't you, just, just for anyone who, who hasn't uh, caught up on that, can you say 30 seconds about what you mean by that term, cognitive <clears throat> bias? So, yes, we are all humans. The human animal is, is subject to a number of biases in the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we behave. And, right. you know, for example, we know that uh, confirmation bias is an example of a cognitive bias. And, and this is a bias that we've discovered through research is that, is that people almost universally tend to look for information that confirms things they already believe and ignore information that, uh, that counters information they believe. In fact, it was always thought that it was just sort of a, a, a behavioral trait. And research, you know, where, where they put in MRIs, given them information they agree with and give them information that conflicts with their beliefs, the, the way the brain fires, people literally physiologically cannot see information that conflicts with their existing beliefs. Right. That is that is called confirmation bias. We tend to be biased toward information that confirms our beliefs. And so there are lots of cognitive biases that that influence the way we behave. And and some of these are, I mean, the 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 debates over whether these are a, a result of evolution, if these are evolutionary, if they're truly cultural, if they're if they have a, a social you know reason for them. The reality is that they exist. So cognitive bias is the ways that we react and behave as a result of our sort of natural human systems Uh and and our identity is often developed around these biases you know um, people who you know we see it in we see it in a lot of debates so uh, you see it in the abortion debate you see it in uh, you know or or, or choice Uh, you see it in in guns versus gun control you see it in, in areas where there's a lot of division I mean, you know, half the people think one way and half the people think the other. And there's a large portion in the middle who can see both sides of the argument. And so you have people um, who have studied these kinds of biases. Right. Who, who can communicate to an audience in a way that influences them through the language, through the argument, <clears throat> to keep these groups sort of at odds. One of the, you know, the if, you know, whenever, whenever there's a debate that one side is losing, they will often bring up a point that they know creates this 50-50 cognitive bias in an audience. Mm-hmm. Automatically changes the conversation away from something they're losing to something they can they can win. It's it's the ability to manipulate an audience based on your knowledge of their cognitive biases. And these people are called politicians generally, but <laughs> um, they often you know it comes down to this idea of, of good versus bad. And so so. What ends up happening, you have within yourself, you have a set of ethics and moral guidelines to, that are developed based on your experiences in your life. The, the people who have influenced you, things you have learned, things you have read, um, you know, you have a sense within yourself of what is good. And this is the, this is the, the key point to the idea behind mind reading, to 
telepathy, you know, even mind control, which is this idea of, you know, with few exceptions, nobody thinks of themselves as the villain. Right. You know, even Hitler thought he was the good guy. So it's it's not it's it's not that they are good. Oh, say, wow, this is a terrible human being, and, and the decisions that he or she has made. But most people who are who are in that space don't think of them. Right, and and I think that that's such a key point, especially like with that example you used of Professor X and and Jean Grey when she's a child. You know, one of the things we've talked about a lot on this blog, uh, on the blog and podcast in general, is exactly that, that idea that Wilson Fisk is convinced he is doing the right thing for New York City and Hell's Kitchen. You know, Magneto, and and again, one of the things I I think Magneto is such a fantastic character, is that he is utterly convinced that what he is doing is the best, not not in a, a greedy way, but because he's literally lived through the Holocaust. He has seen what can happen when prejudice against a group gets to a terrible level and so he's acting in an attempt to stop prejudice against his group the mutants um and and i think that it it, to to me what what makes what i think makes mind reading so scary is you know when when someone has when someone is convinced that they are doing the right thing they will justify almost anything because they think like you know well i have to do this or else the bad terrible thing will happen the villain will win and i know i'm the hero Right. And and mind reading and mind control allows someone to take that to such an extreme level, A, because there's no real, you know, no one else is going to be a check on it. There's no accountability. And so much of the time, no one's going to know. You know, Professor X, I always thought, is both incredibly powerful, but also very scary because, you know, everyone else can see that Wolverine has those claws. Everyone else can see the the mutants who can like you know leap and jump or have a beast in his you know he's a huge beast when professor x does something in someone else's mind no one else knows it um which means that there's no accountability no one else can watch and say hey wait a minute um you made that decision for jean gray but what what about what she would decide you know no one else can step in and and, and hold that person accountable yeah let me let me blow your mind a little bit here think about these terms professor x is extremely powerful we see him as a good character. What if we all only see him as a good character because he's decided we should? <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful way to see it, and I think that that's certainly a possibility. You know, I'm not. Uh, you know, that, that that's a certain. I mean, uh, to take another example that I, I started at the very beginning with, I I I am a huge Star Wars fan, and one reason I'm a, I was so frustrated with the prequels is I wanted a little bit to hear that exact story. Right. I wanted us to hear a story about how the reason we had come to believe that the Jedi were this wonderful force of peace and, and, and everything good in the galaxy was because they were, that they used powers of mind control, you know? Obi-Wan right. has no problem. Luke has no problem, you know, doing the little hand wave and making sure the, the, the stormtroopers know these aren't the droids we're looking for. And it's a funny moment. It's become a hilarious meme. And yeah, to make sure Obi-Wan and Luke aren't killed by stormtroopers, that's probably a good thing. Um, but then later, you know, or earlier in a, a prequel, we see that instead of trying to convince someone to stop selling death sticks, as they are so subtly labeled in that movie, um, he just waves his hand and tells him to stop doing that, you know? Um, and and I, like, I think about addiction and how horrible it is, and it might be great to have someone have the power to just mind control people, to not be addicts and to not sell drugs, but that's not doing much for free will, and that's a, a pretty terrible scary road to go down um, Absolutely. go ahead 
No, absolutely, I agree with that, and that's and that's a very good example of, you know, could he have sat there and had a drink and had a conversation with this person and used discourse to allow this person to come to the conclusion himself that what he is doing is bad and should stop and change, right. allow him to develop his own internal compass around morality and ethics, or should he just take over in the moment and force it? And and yes, we look at the overall outcome as like, oh, it's good. He's you know making this guy not sell this stuff anymore. But but what he's doing in that moment is forcing another pe another person to think the way he wants them to, and taking away their free will to do so. Right. And that in that moment is very negative. I mean, that, that that's a pretty terrible thing to do to a human being. Yeah, and, and of course it's not shown that. But I I you know that that what you just said the, about Professor X, I would have loved to see that story that maybe like. The, you know that the Jedi were, were kind of abusing that power, but were just their mind control was was being used so often that everyone thought the Jedi were great and wonderful. Um, sadly, that is not the the story that Lucas chose to tell us. But but this is the fan fiction we can write instead. Um, right. So so let me push it though a little further because I don't 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 have you for too much longer. But when could I, I I'm thinking about when could mind reading still have because still have some possibility to be used in in some good ways and what. One way I think I see it the most often, and I'm wondering what you think of, is when mind reading is the lie detector. You know, um, sometimes this is kind of emotion reading, like um, uh, uh, Counselor Troy in Star Trek. Um, mm -hmm. uh, th there's some other element. I think Professor X and Jean Grey do this some, but but when it is just the, you know, we're talking to a person who might be a villain, who might not be. That word in in big quotes, or you know, is telling us where the bomb is or where it isn't. And someone's going to read their mind as a lie detector. Where, where, where do we fall on that? Can, can that be? Is that still across a line, or, or we see some potential for good in that? Well, it's a good question. There, it becomes a reactive as opposed to a proactive engagement. So right. you have someone who, you know, Professor X could step up to somebody. There's a bomb planted. We want to know where it is. He could step up and just reach in the guy's head, and that is invasive uh -huh. and, and takes away free will. Or he could step up and ask questions. Where is it, and determine in that moment whether it is or isn't true. We have, we have people in in the real world who have studied micro expressions, right? And where a person's can, eyes go, facial tics, things like that. Exactly, and so you can begin to determine when a person is and isn't lying based on their sort of you know unconscious movement of the muscles in their face and their eyes, and um, and it's extremely uh, effective. And it, it, you know, but you have to train for a long time. You know, to recognize the hundreds of micro expressions and what they tend to mean culturally within that within that setting. So, you know, the idea of having a person who can read minds do that, just step up and is this or is this not a lie? You know, I don't necessarily think of that as an ethical issue as much as it is a you know convenient lie detector. Right. But well, that's but but it is. But I I think you're right, and I think I'd probably come down on on seeing that a lot more favorably. But there is still an invasion of privacy there, you know, especially because, and again, we get into the tech of the machines and the like. But, but you sort of wonder how how easy would it be to just focus on that lie versus, you know, what else do you find in that kind of mind reading? Um, but right. yeah, I, 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 and I think you're right. But but especially because in what you said of, you know, that there isn't a great there isn't a bright line between the things that our superheroes can do and what can happen in the real world. There really is a continuum, and and what Professor X and Jean Grey and the others are doing, 
is a much more advanced version of what we're already doing today and, and, and can be or cannot be problematic. Right. And, you know, our conclusions of what are good and what are bad or what are good or what are evil are largely a result of where you're standing. Yeah, of course. And, you know, someone who is convinced himself that what he is doing is saving the world by killing this one person that he knows is, you know, you know, perhaps we have a perhaps we have a superhero who can see the future. There are some of those. Right. Right. So sees the future, sees this person who has done nothing wrong in his or her life, but as the result of this person living and pursuing their career or their invention causes the destruction of hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of people. So to prevent that, I'm going to kill him now. It's, it's, the, it's the old Hitler question, right? If you go back in time, would you kill Hitler before he became you know, a leader? And, and so, you know, convinced of his right doing, he has, he has planted a bomb that is going to kill him and there's perhaps a few others in his entourage just to prevent this future horrible death from happening. In the moment, in the frame, all Xavier sees is a person planting a bomb to kill a bunch of people. Right. Regardless of good or bad or future, you know, you know, Xavier would argue, well, he may or may not create this thing, and you're not giving humanity an opportunity to overcome its own creations. But by intervening, that's Xavier doing the same thing. And it's it's it becomes this sort of complex debate between what is good and what is bad. Do you kill four people three of whom are innocent in order to save the lives of a thousand down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen the show uh, Supergirl, which it, it is, it, it's sort of on the arrow level of, like, the writing is not great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and it, it's a, I, I, I gotta say, I, I, I don't, I, I think it's a pretty bad show in a lot of ways, and I have a lot of problems, a lot of problems with it. Um, but but one thing I think is, is they, they, they tell a little bit of an interesting story about, um, people on Krypton before Superman and Supergirl had to leave who were killing people in an attempt to stop the destruction of Krypton. You know, and so it gets... It, they never explored as much as I would have liked, but it gets into that inter- same interesting question of, you know, can you do a couple of terrible things towards a much larger goal? Um, and, and mind reading, I think, gets us into some really interesting questions with that of, you know, where is the the invasion of privacy and the, the individual rights versus the collective right of safety and freedom... Um, and, and just how scary it can be when we go too far into that collective safety idea. Um, well, okay. And I think it's very representative of something our culture is dealing with right now, is this idea of privacy versus public. You know, we, in, in sort of the classical Greek democracy, uh, the private life was, was kept very strictly separate from the public sphere. And so you had the public sphere in which at the time, men um, and landowners only, but they would debate and engage in discourse and, and decide the rule of government and have a public persona, including writing and speaking and, and, and you know, whatever they needed to do. And their private lives, what happened in their homes and their private lives were kept strictly separate. You did not know. It was, it would, it was a, 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 an evil thing to reach into a person's privacy and see what's happening. And, right. and what we've created, though, now in, in, in our current culture is a social media, a, a system by which people are constantly sharing their private lives. Right. The line between public and private has gotten incredibly blurred. Right. Um, and for some people, that's intentional. And for some, it's very much not. But right. either way, there's a thought of if you're in the public eye, 
you have no there's no more protection of your walls we're, we're allowed to read your thoughts we're allowed to know everything you do and, and this is very this is very troubling this is very uh frightening for a lot of people i mean it, it's you know the idea of not having my privacy be private and this comes back to the Snowden argument. This comes back to you know the issue of NSA looking in. This comes back to the issue of mind reading, you know, being able to look in and see what a person's intentions are, to look into their private being and see what their intentions are, and then make decisions for them. Right. Decisions for others based on what a different person sees is it, it fundamentally destroys this idea of individual liberty and privacy, and and it's it's very troubling for you know. Uh, social scientists and for a lot of people like myself who recognize that there is value in that individual privacy in terms of maintaining a sort of sense of self, a sense of self-identity. And so a lot of the turmoil that is happening in our world right now is a result of uh, the reaction to this loss of privacy. And and it's, you know, uh, it's an interesting mirror to this idea of, you know, Professor X or anyone who is capable of mind reading to be able to make a decision <clears throat> based on what they read this is good or this is bad based on what their experiences are not necessarily what the experiences of the person they're invading yeah i mean when, when you were saying before about how much context ma- where you're standing matters as we're looking at good and bad you know even if it's just that question of the lie detector test that the, you know anytime i i think about you know, do I think something like that is good or bad? The first thing I would, the, ne- the next thing I'd want to ask myself is, am I thinking about this from the perspective of someone who is going to like be safer because someone else's mind was was read, or am I thinking of it from the person of someone whose mind is going to be read? You know, and that that's going to be a very different question, and that gets in all kind of questions of privilege and, and perspective and the like. Um, I I want to uh, close on one last question because I know you got to go pretty soon. Um, but but. One of the things you, you talked about before, I love the, the example you gave of the potential Syrian refugee who might come in here, you know, with thoughts of, of doing something for ISIS or, or something like that, but that his time in America or her time in America might, might change them and, and you know, that, that how, how important empathy can be in changing a person's perspective. One thing we sometimes see is kind of mind reading or telepathy as forced empathy. You know, I'm going to do a mind meld with this person to, to make them sort of see see things through the perspective of the person they hate to get them past that hate. Um, and, and it seems like on the one hand, it's an incredibly effective technique, but 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 I want to, so where would you see that as, as um, if, we, if we're saying that more empathy is good, is telepathic, telepathic forced empathy, is that is that something we can be okay with? Or is that again, a, a crossing of a line in terms of uh, invasion of thoughts? Or, or where, where, where would that fall? I would, I would, I would still say it's, it's crossing the line. I, I, I like the idea of it, <clears throat> and certainly exposing uh, a person to the culture of another has is demonstrated to be an effective means of reducing the hatred for the other. Uh, at the same time, the idea of of doing that in a forced way presumes that there is a black and white line between good and bad, and and an individual's identity can be uh, manipulated based on what I show them. And the reality of identity is so much more complex than that. I mean, you might take a Syrian refugee and, and say, oh, look, let me, let me, through mind control, show you how good it is to be a woman in America that is working and not, not you know, subscripted to 
her father or her husband who has freedom, who has learned to enjoy self, uh, self-control. Well, that is good from our, pers- our cultural perspective, but from a, a, a Syrian who's been raised in a very strict uh, right-wing Islamist state, that would represent threat threat to everything that is existing existence is good so we think showing them hey look how good it is for these people because of what we've given them might do more harm right well and even that would pre it also presupposes that everyone who's coming from that area who might have bad thoughts of america is coming from a a, that particular brand of strict islamic perspective which which would not necessarily be the case anyway it still might be someone who says you know yeah sure i have no problem with the, with the freedom of women here it's it's the it's it's something else entirely you know and right. i i think yeah that that's to me more than anything there is so much presumption that goes into that kind of mental mental work there's so much of an idea of i know best and so i am going to not not let like you were talking about greek debate greek debate seems a place where the the ideal and i think there's obviously huge problems with the ideal but the the ideal at least is that your thoughts and my thoughts get to conflict with each other and get, you know, rational minds get to attempt to convince other rational minds. Mind control is the exact subjugation of that. You know, it's saying, I, I am going to assume that my thoughts are better than your thoughts, and so I'm going to replace my thoughts with your thoughts. I'm going to replace your thoughts with my thoughts. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, this idea of, that, as you say, exactly, I know better, so I'm going to impose. And it is at that moment of imposition that you have crossed the line from good to evil. Mm -hmm. It is at that moment where you decide what is best for another. What you can do is is show, be, you know, what what is it, you know, even Martin Luther King and Gandhi and all the people who we revere most in our world history and our culture have been people who have led by example. I like to I like to use the Martin Luther King argument as a, as a very good example because here's a here's a man who is revered in our culture who moved civil rights forward a, a huge step in his short lifetime uh, and and most people fail to understand his whole person I mean, he was he was a genius he was brilliant you know he finished college at 19 he had a phd at 25 i mean he was a extremely intelligent human being right but he wasn't necessarily a good guy i mean he he committed adultery I mean, the FBI has hours, endless hours of tapes of them taping him having, you know, sex parties in his hotel rooms. And I, I, I always thought there was something fascinating about, um, and I, I, I revere Malcolm X in a lot of ways, just as much as Martin Luther King. But if you look just at their, like, you know, Mar- Malcolm X is definitely demonized by a much larger proportion of the population sure. than Martin Luther King is. And he was, by all accounts, after his conversion to Islam, a dedicated family man. I mean, not, you know, and putting aside all the kind of net, we're getting into that judgment of the private life that we talked about how problematic it is, but exactly, but it's exactly, a, yeah, it, it's that a, is exactly my point. And, and, and I think that, that what I try and argue to most people is if you were to just take a microcosm look at the private life of Martin Luther King, you would not see a good man, right? What you see is a flawed man. And what, what I think that we run into the problem that we run into as individuals is we think, well, I could do more that is good, but I have all of these flaws. There are all these reasons why I look in on myself, on my own identity, and think, well, I'm not really good enough to lead others and show them what good looks like, because I've got all these, I mean, you know, I, I drink too much, or I smoke pot, or I, you know, 
I'm not really that that smart. I mean, we, we tend to self-criticize. And the, and the most important point I want to make is Martin Luther King wasn't a great man because he was a perfect man. Martin Luther King was a flawed man who did great things anyway. Right. And, and it is okay to have a person who is flawed in some way that is fundamentally flawed and still see them make good ethical decisions because they recognize that there's value in that as well. And, and creating the opportunity for people to do good is a good thing. Forcing people to be to do good based on your own ideals of good is an evil thing, and I, and that I, is the distinction. No, I think that's such an important one. Uh, um, you know, uh, there's two things I go with there. One is I, I think the Martin Luther King point really gets back to what you were saying before about the ability to make your own decisions. Because I, I've always thought that that you know, in a, a perfect person will find it very difficult to make decisions because they don't have any experience of anyone else's problems, you know, and the uh, the ability of to have your own flaws and to recognize your own flaws and thus to have empathy for the flaws of others and, and, to, and to make ethical decisions based on that kind of thinking, you know, I think there's a lot of power there. Um, and, and that again goes to that idea of where is the line between mind reading or control that is trying to help someone else make their own decisions with all of the information versus making the decision for them. Right. Um, and that's, I think, such an important line. And and the the other part, I think, is um, – what was the other part? No, totally went out of my head. <laughs> that's but, totally fine. Yeah. I... So, someone else must have mind-controlled me and gotten me not to think about the other thing I was going to say. <laughs> um, well, But I do uh, – because I know you have a few minutes. Let, let me ask one other thing, which is – um, I referenced earlier the television show Babylon 5, which is a, a favorite of mine. And I know you, you said yeah. you, you've seen it, but not for a while, but you remember some of it. Um, one of the things that they really play with, and again, here, huge spoilers to anyone who hasn't seen it, um, is that in that world, telepathy exists, and the telepaths have real power and use it in some pretty terrible ways. But we also see a flip side of that, which is we see a government that is so afraid of the telepathic powers that some telepaths have that those tele- those people with telepathic powers are very firmly regulated. You know, they can't work in certain pop, uh, certain um, professions. They all have to be registered. With, you know, in a lot of ways, what Babylon 5 does with telepaths reminds me a lot of kind of the worst parts of the Sokovia Accords of right. we're now going to, because these people have a power that can scare us and could be used in terrible ways, to violate our civil liberties, we're going to really violate their civil liberties in an attempt to keep us safe. Um, and so we've been talking all about like the dangers of, of, of mind control and mind reading, but, but I thought it was interesting to now look at it, a, a flip side example of what happens when we become so scared of that that we start limiting their civil rights. Exactly. And that is, and that is the ongoing struggle uh, see in cultures around the world even today. Uh, you know, and we see it in the Syrian refugee crisis. You know, do we let do we let a hundred thousand people in? Nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety of them are good people who will contribute to our society and pay taxes and help grow our nation. And ten of them potentially could be bad people who are here to cause harm and 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 create destruction and create discord because they want to be you know. They, they believe in the, in the ideals of ISIS. So this idea that we would say no to the 990,000 or however many of them, 99,000 or however right, many of right. them we have coming in, 
um, is, is to me seems fundamentally anti-American. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and even and even even questioning the idea of could we even know like saying that some of them are good or some of them are bad is itself kind of problematic. Um, right. You know. But but so so let's say you know put on your 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 governmental ethicist hat. If tomorrow we discover that a small portion of the American population has telepathy, has the not even has has the ability to read the minds of others, right? What what do we do with that? Do we just let them go about their lives entirely? Do we have any kind of registration or laws about it? What 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 would a government? What what should an ethical response to the immersion of mind reading powers in our world be? Well, that is a very good question, and I don't know that there is an ethical response to it. I think that comes down to the decision of, you know, public sphere versus privacy. Yep. You know, you, you create a situation where, all right, we know these people have this capacity, and as long as they stay in, you know, stay within their private spheres, we, we leave them alone. But if they enter the public sphere, do we have, a, do we as a society have a right and an obligation to regulate the public sphere, and and certainly from a socialist standpoint, of course you do. You know, you, corporations can't poison people just because they want to, because they right. can make money on it. Because we have we have a right to regulate what occurs in the public sphere. And if a person is mind reading, has mind control abilities, and they enter the public sphere and use those abilities to the benefit of themselves or people that they like, then then that raises the question of to what degree do we as a society have a right to control the public sphere? Right. And and that is a very tenuous, dangerous place to argue to make arguments. I mean, the the whole ideal of discourse. I mean, the reason that I mean Aristotle and um, Plato created the Academy for the sole purpose of answering this question: How do we preserve the public sphere through a regulated discourse? How do we develop an argument system that is that is based on the ideal of pursuing the truth? And using logic and fact as your basis of drawing conclusions, and and debating and discussing that, and then voting based on a discourse that occurs in a fair space. I mean, that is the ideal of Platonian uh, philosophy. So, you know, a person who enters the public sphere who has mind control abilities is automatically violating the idea of of fair discourse. Right. And and so. Do we prevent them from being part of the public sphere or not? I, that is a very difficult. I, I mean, I, I'm just thinking of it in terms of a, a much more even limited example. Uh, I I spent about a year as a car salesman, and I I guarantee you, if I'd had the ability to read the minds of the people who I was trying to sell cars to, I would have been a much more successful car salesman. Of course. I also well, would have been doing so in a way that was probably doing gross violations to the to the people who you know I was trying to sell cars to. Um, you know, but on the flip side, if we were to say, okay, so no one who uh, has mind control abilities can ever be employed as a car salesman, that, you know, now we're getting into you know putting yellow stars on people kind of territory that get, gets exactly. really scary. Exactly, um, well, and it's true that the best salesmen, the best car salesmen or any salesman of any kind, are people who are very adept at reading others. Yeah, they have and, that empathy and that manipulation we were talking about. Absolutely, and and while it's not quote unquote mind control on the level of Charles Xavier. It is still it is still having the ability to recognize what influences another's decisions and manipulating their speech and their and their engagement in a way that that most influences them in the way they want to go and that's where that you know that ability to influence another's cognitive bias 
comes in. And so we, we sort of accept it. I mean, good salesmen are you know worth their weight in gold because they can do this thing for your company, but it's still kind of a violation of the individual privacy, of, of, of the primacy of an individual's free will. And what? so... Oh, you go ahead. And that's why I don't like car salesmen. Yeah. <laughs> it's why I don't sell cars anymore. But I, but I think you're right. And this is kind of where we can close. But um, and I'll give you a last word. But I, to me, I'm thinking of just one example where I, where I was seeing people try to control my mind. Um, I'm watching football. And the advertisements that come on during a football game are absolutely aimed at playing upon my fears and playing upon my concerns and to get you know my fears that I'm not attractive enough, my fears that I'm not manly enough sexually, my fears that I'm driving the wrong car or whatever, and that people you know all of those things, those are ways of trying to play upon my 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 my, my cognitive biases, as you said, to get me to think certain things and to manipulate me to get me to to think in a way a certain person does. Right. On the flip side, there was another thing that happened where the same cognitive things were happening, which is when during a moment where I have come to associate everyone should stand up singing of the national anthem some people are taking a knee those people taking a knee are manipulating me they are very much intentionally trying to get me to to play against a cognitive bias that I have and to use it in a particular way to get me to think a different way now it so happens I think that they're doing a fantastic thing and they're doing it for a cause that I completely agree with and I I think I have no problem with them doing it I, I celebrate them doing it but it is a way of you, you know, playing upon the way people think to try to get them to think other ways. Um, and I, I just say that to say that I don't think Colin Kaepernick is an X Men, although that'd be pretty awesome in its own right. Um, but, well, certainly he'd be, yeah, he'd be better quarterback, sadly. Um, but, but, um, but, but I think it's it's important for us to remember when we say things like this. You know, we are all a little bit empathetic we, you know when, when you notice that your partner or your friend or your child or your parent is a little upset and you try to comfort them you're practicing a little bit of mind reading and a little bit of mind control and manipulation you know so these things aren't by any means necessarily bad we use them if not to the Professor X extent all the time but it's just important to be thinking about that and to think about you know why you know to me Colin Kaepernick is advancing a political cause that, that I do agree with, but that even if I didn't agree with, I would have more support for than using that to sell a product. Um, but that's, that's, I don't think that's an objective line. I think that's my subjective line of where it's okay and where it's not. And to me, what I, my sort of close is that I think that's the most important thing is that we just think about what's that subjective line and, and how do we judge it. Well, and, and, and you've just described your own free will, your own ability to look at the situation, recognize the manipulation, and make a decision based on your own desires, feelings, ethics, morals, etc. Right. You, are, you are in the moment expressing that free will. That's the, the real value of education is helping people recognize that you know, the moment we step into the public sphere, the moment we leave our home and step into the public space, we are constantly being manipulated and influenced and and moved and pushed in different directions and our ability to recognize it is an important for our own expression of free will and development of personal ethics we are i often make the argument that there's no such thing as good or bad there are only poorly developed arguments right right and you know there's no such thing as right or wrong they're only poorly developed arguments, and it is. It is. And we could talk all day about that as well. It's just being aware that there are forces 
in the world have you know constantly there are, there are people paid a lot of money i used to get paid a great deal of money to sit and think about how i could convince engineers to buy microprocessors and and the kinds of words that i used in advertising and articles and and other means social media specifically designed to influence the emotions of others i mean that's that's what public relations is yep yep and and I did it for years, and it is you know I'm not necessarily I don't think I'm a bad person for using my knowledge of how certain words influence others emotionally or how narrative can be an effective means of, of emotional influence um, because I you know my end my end goal was to you know convince people that Motorola's microprocessors were better than AMD's yeah it was you know it's it's you know we do it all day. All of us do it to a certain degree. We are all, you know, Professor X, and to a certain degree, we are all Magneto. And it's just a matter, you know, that constant internal debate we have with ourselves of, you know, is this good or is this bad? It's not so much that you need to come to a conclusion, so much as it is that you should be having the debate. Right. And I think I think that's the key, and that's where we can leave it because it's that idea that we have the debate, and that's the where that the idea that we're aware when other people are doing it. You know, I think in some ways that's the most important thing is just developing an awareness of when both is it being done to you and when can you do it to others um, right. so with all that uh, Greg I know you do some writing so tell us where are you manipulating people where, <clears throat> where, where can we go to have our minds changed and manipulated by, by the words you're putting out into the world I'm glad you bring that up I am working on a project right now that I am launching on Saturday this coming Saturday October 1st and uh, it will be the website is not up yet but it will go live on Friday evening at some point and that website is called There Just words.com. They're just words. And there's sort of a double meaning there. They're, they're just words. They're only words. But they're also justice words. The idea of, of how do we, you know, is it possible to influence people through language and through words? And, and the website is long-form journalism. It's, it's, you know, every Saturday morning I'm going to put out one good long story that you can sit with a cup of coffee and read for half an hour. I mean, we and, and, and really kind of get into an idea. Um, and so that's the project I'm starting. Uh, it's, it's going to be, you know, politically influenced this first, this first month because that's where we are right now. But there are also articles on there about the idea of uh, concept of trust. You know, I have an article that was coming up around the idea of there's no such thing as distrust. There's only trust. Hmm. Um, and, and writing a lot about depression and the process of of depression physiologically and how we overcome depression. So there are other things I'll be writing about, but that will be launching this Saturday. Awesome. And I'm looking forward to everyone's feedback. Sweet. Well, thank you so much. We'll definitely put up a link to that uh, in the show notes and stuff like that. Uh, Greg, thank you again for being a great guest. Uh, it was wonderful having you on. I hope we'll have, have you back. To everyone listening, thank you for uh, uh, being a part of this. Um, uh, as, as I said before, more than anything, we love putting these things together because uh, I want to start conversations. Um, so please, if you've heard something here that you're interested in, that you disagree with, that you want to um, try and use mind control to convince Greg and I that we're wrong, um, or, or our audience, stop us from doing mind control to uh, control others, Post. Sure. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Superhero Ethics. You can find us on uh, Twitter at the same name, Superhero Ethics. Or the best thing you can do is leave a review for us. Um, go on to iTunes, search for the blog, uh, search for the podcast at Superhero Ethics, um, and then post a review. Would love to know what you think. Would love to get your feedback. Uh, love to hear about upcoming episodes that you want us to talk about, issues you want to see explored. 
uh, and that way we can help get the word out to more people. So, Greg, thanks again for being a part of this. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you all later. Thanks, Matthew. Have a good day. Bye-bye.